Well, I have a two-hour message, so are you ready to listen fast this morning? Yes. I want to uh, talk to you a little bit this morning about obedience. Obedience. I like obedience, don't you? I like children who obey. Uh, I think God would be a lot more pleased with me if I was more obedient. We uh, were supposed to have had uh, a couple of our grandkids with us last night, and then they were going to come and be part of the VBS this morning, but I called, called my daughter and asked her how all this was going to come to pass about uh, getting the grandkids over, and she said, well, that's not going to happen now. She said they were supposed to have cleaned their rooms, and it didn't take place. And so uh, they didn't get to come to Grandma and Grandpa's and get to come to VBS today. But you know what? That's taking care of the area of obedience, amen? And I think that's a good thing. So uh, obedience, it's very, very important. And since I am a little bit on limited time this morning, I'm going to kind of skip through some things that I wanted to share with you this morning, but we're still going to get the gist of what I want to share with you. We're just going to start out in 1 Samuel 15. This is whenever um, <clears throat> the Lord is dealing with uh, Saul, who was king, and Saul uh, had not done what he was supposed to do. He had been ordered to go in and to uh, totally annihilate the uh, uh, Amalekites. He was supposed to totally do away with man, woman, and child, and all beasts of the field, every animal that they had. He was supposed to have totally done away with them. But the people brought back some of the plunder for themselves. And Samuel, the, the uh, priest, he goes and confronts Samuel about that. And in verse 22, it says this, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is an iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He also has rejected you from being king. You know, it's an important thing that you and I are obedient in our walk with the Lord, that we are not being rebellious, that we're not being disobedient. That's in large things, and that's also in small things. In Jeremiah chapter 7, it says this down, I'm going to skip a few down in verse 23. It says, but this is what I commanded them saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well with you. That's one advantage to being obedient to the voice of the Lord is because then things are going to be well with you when we are obedient. And that's obedient in all sorts of things. That's large things and small things. I might expound on that in a little bit. Verse 24 says, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. That's what you're doing whenever you or I, either one of us are being disobedient. We're going backward instead of forward. And how many of you know the Lord wants us to be going forward? Everything he does is forward. Everything he does is positive. Everything that he does is good, and he wants us going that direction. But if we're disobedient, we go the opposite way. Now we're going to go into the text, this story that all of you are probably very familiar with, of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac. That's in Genesis chapter 22. And it says this in verse 1, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, 
and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Now, my first point is this in this passage is that it says that God tested Abraham. It doesn't say that he tempted Abraham. Because in James chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So we must make sure that whenever we are in a situation that we understand that if we are being tempted, that is not from the Lord. Because he doesn't tempt anyone. If it is a sexual temptation, if it is you know, you're wanting to cheat or you're wanting to lie about something, that is a temptation that is not from the Lord. That is from the devil. We have an enemy and he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that you have to see that as a temptation. Yes, it's a test, but it's also a temptation. And there's an enemy who's behind that temptation. But there's a difference between a temptation and a simple test. Because sometimes the Lord does test us. He wants to see where we're coming from. Where's your heart at? What's your motivation? What are you thinking on this? Are you really doing this for the right reason? And sometimes He tests us. But never, never get them mixed up between a test and a temptation. So here it is. God is testing Abraham. And then in verse 2 it says, Then He said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Now, I want to point out something here. Sometimes we have to make sure we understand Scripture. And sometimes you, you realize that back whenever Scripture was written, it did not have punctuation. There weren't commas, there weren't chapters, there weren't paragraphs, there weren't, there weren't verses. It was all written together. And in this particular Scripture, there, the, the comma is put in the wrong place. Because this here says, Now take your son, your only son, Isaac. Was Isaac his only son? He wasn't. Remember Hagar and Ishmael. Ishmael, in the chapter before uh, this, in chapter 21, Hagar and Ishmael were sent by Abraham to the wilderness. Why? Because Sarah didn't like having them around. And so Abraham sends his other son, Ishmael, who's from a bond slave, Hagar, and sends them to the wilderness. So this should read like this. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, without a comma, your only son Isaac whom you love. Because he didn't love Ishmael. But he loved Isaac. You see the difference? Sometimes we have to see those little details in Scripture so that we totally understand it. Otherwise you think, well, Scripture is wrong or uh, it has a conflict, and there's no conflict in Scripture. There's no mistakes in Scripture. It's always correct, but we just have to understand sometimes the punctuation. So then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. How would you like to have that order from the Lord with your children? One of your kids... Maybe sometimes you'd like to do something to him like that. But now remember, all of this is a test in our own lives, whether it be anger or stress or whether it be finances or whether it be the rain or whether it be the drought or whether it be your mother-in-law or whether it be any other relationship in your family or whether it's unforgiveness or whether it's forgiveness or whether it's 
we had a situation a couple of years ago, and Joe and Della had a, couple, a situation just a couple of weeks ago where you take your grandkids camping, and it rains. It not only rains, but it pours. And when you're camping with a bunch of kids, that's, that's a test. <laughs> that's a trial, and I was tempted to do... <laughs> you know, sometimes the test is very serious. Maybe it's your... Faith is being tested by uh, someone who is an unbeliever, or maybe you don't receive the promotion, or maybe you don't, uh, maybe you are fired from a job because of your faith in Jesus Christ. It could be something very serious like that. Uh, just this week, maybe you saw in the news that a guy uh, who does a vlog, a vlog now is not just a blog, but it's a video of a blog, so they call it a vlog. He had a vlog, a video vlog this week that was removed from Facebook because he prayed for President Trump. And Facebook deemed it as hate speech. That's the collapse of society that's coming down on the church. The church is being attacked in many, many different ways. And maybe you have been attacked in some way. Those are serious tests in your life. But here, Isaac is going to be sacrificed by his father, Abraham. In Genesis 22 and verses 3 and 4, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, I just wonder what's going on in Abraham's mind while he's going through this whole process. He receives this word that he's supposed to go and sacrifice his son. He's gathering up the wood. What's he doing while he's doing all of this? I mean, it's, it's three days away. It's a three-day journey. What's he doing in those three days? I mean, what's going through his mind? I mean, if it's you and I, I think we could be panicking. We could be questioning God. We could be angry at God, we could be uh, say, well, how can I get out of this? How can I be disobedient to what he's saying? And still, maybe God would still understand. I mean, after all, this is my son. What's all the thoughts that are running through his mind? It's important to understand and see the next verse. Verse 5 says this, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. You see what he says here? He says, we will come back to you. Now, he's not talking about he's going to bring him back dead because he wasn't just going to kill him. He was going to be a burnt offering. And I don't think that Abraham's talking about I'm going to bring him back in a little urn where he's been cremated. That's not what he's talking about. He's, no, no, me and my son, we're coming back. So what is the mindset of Abraham while he receives this instruction for the three years? Here's where, uh, here's where we find out in Genesis 3, 4, 5 chapters before. In Genesis 17, it says this. These are the things that Abraham was thinking about. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. Now, you, I want you to understand, God's saying the same thing to you and me. He's saying, hey... Ron, hey, Josh, hey, Jackie, hey, Doug, my covenant is with you. Whenever you receive Jesus Christ, suddenly we become in covenant with one another. 
and I have a covenant with you, and I want you to understand that I'm going to live up to my end of it. You live up to your end of it. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him. As for me, behold, excuse me, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And then look at verse 19. Then God said, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Do you see the promise that Abraham has? So in those three days, instead of him being worrisome, instead of him fearing and doubting and having unbelief, he's standing on the promises. He's saying, hey, I don't know how this thing's going to turn out. I don't know whether I'm going to stab him and God's going to raise him from the dead. I don't know if there's going to be a a miraculous thing come forth from the fire. I don't know exactly how God's going to do it, but one thing I know, he's given me a promise, and it's through this son right here, Isaac. He's going to make him through me the father of many nations. I've got a promise. And I want to challenge you this morning. Are you standing on the promises? 2 Peter 1.4 We have been given great and precious promises. And whenever you and I get in between a rock and a hard place, brother, that's not a, and sister, it's not a time to be fretting. It's not a time to be worrying. It's not a time to try to figure out how God's going to do it. All you do is you stand on the promises of God. I'll tell you, whenever I get in between a rock and a hard, hard place, I grab a hold of this. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you get in in a tough situation and what's going to happen? You're not going to speak that doubt and fear and unbelief. You're going to speak faith. You're going to speak the promises, what God has written. Because why? Because He's in covenant with you. And He will be faithful to live up to His end of it. Will you be faithful and obedient to your end of it? Hallelujah. So Abraham knew what God had said, and he knew the promise. Hallelujah. Back to Genesis 22, verse 6. So God the Father took the wood of the cross and laid it on His Son. Did you hear what I just said? God the Father took the wood of the cross and laid it on His Son. As Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. He took a knife. Is there any young person who wants to come up here this morning and we go through a dramatization of what is taking place here? Anybody volunteer? (laughs) Owen volunteered his mother. So he took the burnt offering, he took the knife, and the two of them went together. Verse 7, But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb 
for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. It's so important here what Abraham is saying. He says, my son, God will provide for himself. He didn't say God will provide for us. He said God will provide for himself. This is God's deal. This is God's orchestrated situation. This is God's plan. This is God's whole idea of Abraham sacrificing his son. And he said he will provide for himself. And I want you to feel the same way whatever situation you are in. I am his and he is mine. Whatever I am in is his situation as well. Because I am his beloved. You are his beloved. And whatever situation you are in, he will take on whatever burden you have, and He will provide whatever is needed. Why? So that you can be glorified, so that you'll look good in your situation? No, it's so that He will be high and lifted up, and that He will be glorified, and that He will be found strong. Hallelujah. So He's going to do it for Himself. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Hallelujah. Philippians 4.19 My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches in glory. Do you believe that? Do you believe He's going to supply all your needs according to His riches? Verse 9, Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now put yourself for a moment here in Isaac's position. Earlier we thought about, okay, what's Abraham thinking? Now let's think about what is Isaac thinking? Because Isaac is a believer. He loves God. And as he is bound and he's laid upon the altar, what is going through his mind? It might be things like, hey, hey, dad. God may have spoken to you about doing this thing, but He never said a word to me about this. Are you sure this is what you're supposed to be doing? I mean, He could have all kinds of thoughts be going through His, his, his mind. And it reminded me, you know, have you ever been involved in a situation where someone has a great idea? They have a great idea, but all the burden and all the cost is going to be on you. <laughs> You ever been involved in those situations? You know, this is a great time for Isaac to know what the promises are. This is a great time for him to rise up and say, hey, I know what the promise was to my dad, and it is about me. I know that God has promised that I'm going to be a father of many nations. It's a great time for the son to stand on the promises. And I'd like to know, parents, are you teaching your children so that they are being raised up in the admonition of the Lord to where they are learning to stand on the promises of God. It was very most satisfying to me to be able to raise our children and then to begin to see them operate in the things of the Spirit. To see them worship God because they had a relationship with the Lord, not just because mom and dad had a relationship with the Lord. It thrills my heart to see my grandchildren now learning about the Word of God and knowing how to apply the Word of God to situations as they get older and older. Are we as parents and grandparents, are we instilling in our children the promises of God? Are you putting in them 
so that they can stand on their own two feet that one of these days they're going to be able to soar like the eagles instead of being a turkey. We need to be pouring into our children so that they understand the promises of God. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Praise the Lord. Then verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here am I. He has the knife in the air. He's ready to slay his son. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Your only son. First, the first time he didn't say your only son, he said the son whom you love. This time he says, your only son. Why is it changed? It's changed because of the significance of Abraham fulfilling his covenant with God. He's living up to what God has called him to do. God said, I want you to go and to slay your son. I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham followed those directions to a T. He was living out his covenantial relationship with the Lord. And that's what happens whenever you and I are obedient and we are being faithful to the covenant between us and God. And whenever that happens, then covenantially, he can call you son. He can call you daughter. Because you have fulfilled the covenantial. He's always Father because He's always faithful. It's a matter of whether you and I will be faithful and live up to the covenant. But when we do, we are sons and we are daughters. And when we mess up, aren't you glad we have an advocate with the Father that we can run back to Him? And He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. In Romans 8 and 15 and 17 through 17, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I want to pause here for a moment. I think the Holy Spirit is telling me that there's one or two people here, especially this morning, who's dealing with the fact of, am I really saved? You're questioning your salvation. Well, let me ask you something. Did you repent of your sin? Did you realize that you were a sinner and you needed a Savior? And then you repented of that. If your answer is yes, then let's move to the next question. Do you realize that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you from your sin? If your answer is yes, let's move to the next, next question. Then did you... Ask Him to come in and save you from your sin and ask Him to come into your heart and to live forever. If your answer is yes, then you are saved and you are going to heaven. Don't allow the devil to tempt you any longer with that thought that you're not saved and you're not going to heaven. Now, if you haven't done any, any one of those certain things, then do it. Get it straightened out in your life. Know that Jesus Christ has saved you from your wretchedness. Repent of your sin. Ask Him into your heart. But He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Now back to Genesis 22, verse 11. Then Abraham lifted his eyes, looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. 
You know what a crown of thorns is? The crown of thorns is always related to mockery. That the people were mocking Jesus as being king of the Jews, so they made him a crown. But it was a crown of thorns, which was not only a mockery, but it was also suffering because they crammed those thorns down into his head. But every bit as much of that being the representation of the crown of thorns is this representation right here. The ram. The substitute for Isaac being sacrificed was a ram with his head caught in the thicket. That's the representation. That's the real representation of the crown of thorns. He's the substitute. And his head is in the thorns. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. Now there's another point I want to make here in just a few minutes. God is going to instruct us. He's going to teach us. He's going to lead us and guide us. Romans 8.14 says that those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. But let me tell you something. You don't always have to have a trial and a tribulation for God to teach you. You don't always have to be going through something for God to teach you. There's something better than trial and tribulation, and that is revelation. It's by revelation that God is going to build His church. And if you can learn your lessons by revelation, it's going to take fewer and fewer of trials and tribulation. Do you hear what I'm saying? Hey, when trials and tribulation come along, I want to learn from them, but I would just as leave have a few less of them. And I realize that more, the more I get into His Word, the more I get into prayer, the more I am in covenant relationship with the Father, He downloads revelation to me that I, I can get that in a minute of what make, might take a year of trial and tribulation. You don't always have to go tr through trial and tribulation. Begin to be a person who is yearning and hungering and thirsting for revelation. Now here's my main revelation point for you this morning. In verse 5, we read it earlier. Verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with a donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. There's an interesting thing he says here. He says, The lad and I will go yonder and worship. How's he going to worship? Maybe the two young men, maybe one was a keyboard player and the other one was a drummer. Did they go and have praise and, a praise and worship session? No. What did he do? He went and he built an altar and he began to sacrifice his son. My point I want to make this morning, I just want to drive this home. The greatest form of worship is obedience. That's what Abraham was doing here. He was being totally obedient to what God the Father had asked him to do. So the greatest form of worship is not what we just did this morning, even though it's good, and I always want to have that. I want to have praise and worship with singing and, and all the instruments. I love all of that, but that's not the greatest form of worship. The greatest form of worship is for you and me to be obedient to what He's called us to do. And that can be big things. That can be small things. 
It can be something simple like being at the gas station and the Lord tells you to go over there and, and tell that person that, that, that God loves them. It could be something simple like taking a, a, a casserole to your neighbor with a little note in it about God's goodness. It could be something big like don't take that job or yes, I do want you to go to Nairobi. I mean, it could be something small. We need to be obedient in every aspect of our lives. And the more obedient we are, the more anointing is going to be on our lives. The more blessing is going to be on our lives. The more uh, happiness and joy and peace is going to be on our lives. And the more we're going to see the hand of God moving on our lives because we are doing the greatest form of worship and that is being obedient. I'm calling all of you this morning, individually and corporately, and that includes me. Let's become the most obedient people serving the only true and living God that this entire community has ever seen. Will we see change? Oh, my, my, my. We'll see change. Let's stand. Father, I bless you for today. I thank you so much for our children and for VBS that took place this week. We have planted seed in those little hearts. And I pray, Father, that every single one of them will grow up to know you as their Lord and Savior. That they'll be a world changer for the gospel. For each parent of those children, Father, I would pray that they, if they don't know you as Lord and Savior, that they will come to know you as Lord and Savior. And that that entire family will be, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As your heads are bowed, I just want to ask this morning, would there be anybody here this morning that would say, I, I need to receive this, Lord, this Jesus Christ as Lord this morning that you're talking about? I need to receive Christ. I need to repent of my sin. I won't call you forward. I just, I'm going to pray for you. But is there anybody here this morning who will lift your hand and say, I need to be saved this morning by the grace of God through Jesus Christ? Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you that you have saved me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And I pray that every person in this room today can say that. We bless you and give you the glory in Jesus' name. And those in agreement said, Amen.